what do you got going on? Well, we just got back from uh, camping. We were there for three whole nights. That's amazing. And, well, uh, <laughs> mostly three nights, and then you guys came home and uh, showered and changed, and then went <laughs> yeah, back. Right? It's it's very nice, yeah, to split that up and be so close to where we can just drive in, and it does feel like we're yeah. away from civilization. But camping was great. Um, you know, I feel like every time we do it, we get a little bit better at it. There's a lot less um, prep that we have to do. Just the lists are already made. Things are kind of packed yeah. away. Um, one of my favorite experiences, though, is sitting outside underneath the stars with like the fire crackling, you turn off all the lights and uh, you can just listen and take it all in. No kids, no extra noise, nothing like that. And, um, you know, Lindsay and I are sitting out there talking about what we normally talk about in the evenings, which is uh, space and time. Very deep conversation. Yeah. Um, in, in fact, we actually had a full moon on oh, Sunday that's right. night. Completely. I mean, from what I remember, we booked this six months ago, completely unplanned on my part. So happy accident there. Um, you know, went from the waxing gibbous to full. I'm, I'm glad that you had uh, corrected me on, on the phases <laughs> of the moon there, right? Yeah. But Lindsay teaches earth science. And so she's always dropping these random space-based facts on me just because it's what she teaches and it's what she knows, right? Um, and this is what she drops. So we're, we're looking at the moon. Um, and she goes, did you know that Jupiter... Um, what I refer to as the galactic defender, you know, it's like it's got the, it sucks in all the comets, right? Um, oh, it does it? Is that set, the, oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because it's, it's got such a high mass. It's a gas giant, David. Um, it has 79 natural moons. Now, we only wow. have the one, the moon, yeah. you know, that's our satellite. Um, and only only about 18 years ago. So this is around 2003, right before Futures was, was released. I don't know if this has any kind of... Um, if there is any kind of a coincidence here. Um, but see, it didn't actually have 79 moons almost 20 years ago. Um, oh. And some of these moons have very cool names. Some are kind of robotic. You know, that star that I told you that I have out in Orion's belt, it's one of those robotic names. So the the last couple of moons that Jupiter has are uh, Colero is one of the names. Uh, Sinope. I believe they have a little guide to try and uh, figure out how it's pronounced. So I think uh, when you have millions and millions of stars, you kind of run out of names. Um, but the one before those two was S2003J23. Again, I don't know if it has any <laughs> any coincidence on futures in 23. But, David, I ask you this question. At that specific moment in time, do you know how many natural satellites Jupiter had? I'm going to take a I'm going to take a wild, wild <laughs> guess here. 77 satellites. <laughs> yes, sir. This is Jimmy Eat Pod. <laughs> That's yeah. good. Deliver. That's good. That makes me wonder, then, is that where the name of the song comes from? Because I just don't really glean anything specific from the lyrics and we'll get into that um we will but, um but yeah i'll tell you this it does not oh it doesn't have anything to do with jupiter's moons so uh but i i you know i was very excited about this particular episode so we'll get to that when the time is right but i do have an answer for you oh very yeah. exciting um, so I do have a little bit of um, housekeeping. Uh, one is this 555 comic book that's coming out, um, or graphic novel. Uh, I purchased a paper paperback edition, um, 
and uh, I we don't know enough. We don't know a ton about it. It's inspired by the Clark uh, character from the five 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 music video. Um, and uh, let's see, it's being put out by Z Two Comics. The artwork is incredible. Um, it's very Metropolisy, which that video is very Metropolisy. Um, right. And here's right. here's here's what the band put out on their Instagram. There was a fair bit of world building around the characters for the 555 music video, and it felt too interesting to end the story there. It screamed for a comic adaptation. I gave Alex Pacnadel the basics of the character backstories, and he was able to conceptualize an amazing world that Corin Shadme perfectly illustrated. The song 555 is about shifting your thinking from what you can gain to how you can contribute and the surprising reward that brings. Based on that concept, our main character, Clark, with two A's, uh, works for an evil galactic empire as an overseer of a cloned workforce and ends up battling with his own values as his purpose in the universe becomes threatened, says Jim. Jimmy Eat World's very first graphic novel is here. Pre-order your copy of 555, now from Z2 Comics, including a very limited amount of hand signed by Jim. More info at the link in the bio. As I went maybe 10 minutes after that link had, I mean, the link went live the minute they posted about it. And 10 minutes later, the autograph copies were already gone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jeez. So, and so I was like, well, I'm not going to buy a hard copy that isn't autographed. So I'm just going to go ahead and get the soft cover. Um, and uh, yeah, it'll be out May 21st. So that will be an exciting, and I guess we'll have to do a Patreon episode about it. So yeah, uh, absolutely. That will be cool. Um, next, I had purchased, this was like a really quick turnaround. The, the VIP folk um, that did the VIP for um, the uh, meet and greets uh, for the Phoenix sessions got a link in the mail that was to the Live at Metropolis Studios vinyl that they did. Uh, I think they recorded this back in 2019. It was released in February of 2020, um, right before the pandemic. And it was only released to the people I believe that were there. So now they have done a very limited 240 copy repress of this two track vinyl. And some of the proceeds went toward Music Cares, uh, which is an organization that helps uh, support people in the music industry, especially right now during COVID where there are no live music things happening so uh on side a right. is a live version of all the way stay and this is where the jimmy Eat world cover of party hard comes from so now i have this vinyl and it's very exciting so it looked um, beautiful yeah it's a terrific addition to my collection and uh lastly which just started this past monday by the time this episode comes out we have the don't get a blister challenge where we are uh joining up with a bunch of people from the discord and we posted this out on facebook and reddit as well as chorus fm um last month we did the step challenge with what were there five of us yeah. um six of us and we got to 1 million steps in 31 days just after 1 million steps we were about 400 miles so i said okay how long is the journey from the tip of maine to the bottom corner of California all the way across the United States as uh, as Tom sings in blister and it's 
I think I said 3,400 something miles. So I said, okay, that's 8.8 million steps if we're using that math. Uh, if we can do 8.8 million steps and get more people involved in 31 days, we will know that altogether, it may not be all alone, but altogether no. we could make it there all the way across the United States in 31 days. So we're giving it a, a go. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I saw that Futures Past was unable to join, so I think it might be filled up. Um, but I wonder if people can follow along. So uh, that would be an interesting thing. Um, either way, we'll post uh, in the Discord. There is a um, Chase This Fitness channel where we post updates about our status uh, on this Uh but um, it's very exciting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and just to be in, in a group together with all the, the like minded individuals and music and Jimmy World and Jimmy Pod. It's just a lot of fun. It is. And, it, and it's a, a good motivator. It seems that everybody that has joined in seems excited to have some piece of motivation to get going. So um, that's all the housekeeping I have that I could think of. Awesome. Um, I always think of like little tidbits of housekeeping. I'm like, oh, I should mention that. Oh, I should mention that. And then here I am. I, I wrote three things down. So anyway, <laughs> 77 satellites from the opener 7-inch uh, from 95. The Static Prevails additional 7-inch within the same room. The 2000 Singles album and the Make Like a Tree and Leave Comp um, track. Two of two on the two 7-inches. Two of 11 on the Singles Comp. Uh, 11 of 14 on the Japanese singles comp and 22 of 22 on the make like a tree and leave comp produced by Mark Trombino recorded at Big Fish in Encinitas, California, which is uh, where uh, Blink-182 went on to record Dude Ranch and Cheshire Cat with Mark Trombino. Um, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Dude Ranch was the Mark Trombino. Uh, Cheshire Cat was not. Uh, written by Jamie Eat World. Uh, Tom is the singer on this, and I was like, is Mitch Porter on bass here? Uh, but no, uh, Rick gets the ass cap for it, and I confirmed with Zach on Twitter that Rick was in the band. This was them trying Mark Trombino out to do their big Capitol record. They did this opener seven inch where they were like, let's lay these two tracks down um, and see how we vibe with Mark. And if everything's good, then we'll go forward from there. So this was to feel Mark out. So it's not Mitch Porter on bass. This is uh, really the first two tracks with Rick at all um, on bass. Uh, it's an industry for outer space 001 pressing on that opener seven inch, which was essentially a self-release. Uh, its duration is three minutes, four seconds. And the only one time that's listed on setlist.fm was at the Troubadour in West Hollywood, July 31st, 1995. And uh, wow. it's a D flat <laughs> major key. It is 3B Camelot and a 95 BPM. And there's some really cool stuff that happens in the verses of this song. It's oh, yeah. mostly 4-4, I would four, be... four, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'd be interested to know... If it was Mark Trombino's direction or if it was the band's direction that went into those two time signature switches. Yeah, it it I wouldn't put it past Mark being a drummer. Uh, right. That maybe he wanted them to do something interesting like that. Um, I did reach out to Zach and let's see. He hadn't before we started recording responded. Um, but uh, we'll see if we can get Paul to weigh in on. I, I, I basically count. 
Well, we could count it out live, but it's it's one, right. two, three, four, one, one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three, right. four, one, one, two, three, four, one, two is the pattern. Yes. Um, so I, I have it down as four, four is the normal uh, verse. And then when you get into what we consider, I think that's, yeah, um, not even, the, it's just part of the verse. It goes five, four, and then six, four. And I wanted to look and uh, see yeah, if there okay, were that other makes songs. Sense. Yeah. Five, four, yeah, six, four. Exactly. Yes, exactly totally. what you had just described. If you could put a number to it, I think that's probably what they would say. Uh, if you had to put an actual time signature on it, but exactly the feel is that there's an extra beat and then there's an extra two beats, which really kind of throws you off because yeah. you just want to, you expect them to go back to that four, four timing. But there was another song. There was a handful of them. I'd say there were maybe, maybe five to six songs that I actually knew the band names. The other ones were kind of like eclectic artists, but yeah. Uh, the one that stood out to me the most was Jacob's Ladder by Rush. And oh. they start theirs off, which, I mean, it makes sense for them to do something like this, where they go, they start off with 4-4, four, four, and then they go that 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. And do you want to play, want me to play a little bit of Jacob's Please, Ladder? Yeah. In the, okay, here we go. We'll play a little bit of this, just so you can hear what we're describing. This is exactly the verse <laughs> melody. Wow. Yeah. So this whole intro does this little thing here. And then it kind of goes into the uh, the same time signature, but they're just adding in more stuff. It's a seven and a half minute song. Wow. Um, do you want me to play a little bit of 77 Satellite so we have Please, that? yeah. Okay. This one's a little bit more uh, palatable. So you can hear this when they go in through the first verse. We'll just go through the first verse. Sick intro already. Oh, yeah. One, two, three, four, one, one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three, four, one, one, two, three, four, one, two, one, two, three, four, one, one, two, three, four, one, two. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, six. There it is. So it's it it definitely makes the song more unique by hearing that. I mean, it's what a difference. I mean, to add in one more measure, or I'm sorry, one more note, and then two more notes, kind of like how we were in that ending of "Pass the Baby" when it's like Jim's idea was let's just make this thing as uh, as unique in every single measure as we possibly can. But this is early uh, Jimmy World working with Mark Trombino. So yeah, again. Could be him, absolutely, because yeah, you're right. He's a drummer, and he's tr- maybe trying to make this. Let's let's make this thing something special, and probably leave yeah. his mark on the band since they're feeling him out. And this is the B side of opener, which was that uh, like thirty second note 
crazy strumming uh yeah that goes into a halftime <laughs> beat after that yeah. so sick um all right um so th- those are all of the the technical jargons and maybe we'll get some yes. from paul to plug in here too but uh after that now we can jump into lyrics yeah so i i first went to song meanings just to take a look and yep. not a lot there now no. <laughs> so not a lot, a lot of, there, of people there. asking yeah, they're asking what the song is about. Uh, uh, Justin Eat World says episode four is sung by Tom. That's why I don't even know. I think this is this. Oh, is they're the all out of order. Rated. But somebody was yeah. like, "Oh, it doesn't even sound like that, Jim here. It sounds like oh, it dude. sounds like Jim when he sings this other song that also Tom sang." <laughs> yeah, exactly. That um, I, yeah, it was Jarboff was the name of that user. Jim's voice. What are yeah. you talking about? <laughs> so the most upvoted comment is episode four is sung by Tom. That's why. So a reply to somebody else. There you go. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that just got upvoted. So has nothing to do with 77 satellites. So there's nothing there that I could I could um, gather at least to, to lead me through this. So this is what um, let's take a step through this uh, lyrically and see. What uh, if if you feel like you uh, agree with my analysis of this, or if you have a different uh, perspective on this? So it starts off with uh, verse one: "Is it's all right to he, be I, held he, back?" It's all right to be held back by Retro Man. Now, Retro Man um, makes me think of Spaceman. Not like if you could think of what does retro man mean? Not necessarily like an old guy, but just retro man. I think of vintage. 1950s. If you Google it, it's like exactly what you think it is. It's like the okay nineteen fifties meme looking guy. Does um, it kind of look like uh uh? Oh my gosh, what's the jetpack dude? It's a rocket man. Ex- uh, yep, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, here I'm gonna send you the yeah. first image that I see here. Like it's very much okay. like that cheeky. 1950s cigarette ad guy in a tuxedo with a wink and like the action lines yeah yeah (laughs) totally very very uh visually on point so far with what i think of retro man just put put a a, an astronaut's helmet on him and that's what i kind of um, gleaning from this right so like in the same in the same column as major tom so either way it sounds like there's some space guy holding back or blocking this person um, now, it's far-fetched fun when you're the one. Far-fetched fun. Alliteration. I think that was kind of fun oh, in and yeah, of itself. Oh, yeah, I see that, yeah. Um, but really what they're saying is, who would have thought that humans would ever enter space? So already I'm thinking with Retro Man, that visualization there, um, it's far-fetched fun when you're the one. So someone's been chosen or has won. So already I'm getting, um, I'm getting the feeling like this is about the space race. And again, there's so many things that are kind of entering my head at this point when I'm at this early in this song. The fact that we also have episode four um, mm. on this on this album. Okay, so maybe there's a little bit of space interest in the band. Um, and then we have we go to what I consider the chorus here. And yeah, they started I off with the, yep. yeah, the prize. And the prize. I'm sorry, David. There we go. <laughs> Uh, I think the prize is the actual, the space race. Now, the space race, um, if you're unfamiliar with this, the space race was uh, basically Russia and the United States um, trying to just get somebody in space. So um, on April 12th, 1961, you have Yuri uh, Gagarin from Russia uh, goes into space and is out in space for a bit. 
And then Alan Shepard, um, just under a month later, May 5th, 1961, is the first American in space. So I think that this, we're starting to get um, the perspective of one competitor kind of giving a pat on the back to the winner. And like, here, here we go in the second part of the chorus here. I knew you would come through. I knew Yuri would come through. You were a great guy. Um, I thought I could be right, number one. I mean, I was hoping that that they, I would also be successful and that I'd be the first to reach space. So with the verse, the chorus, I'm getting vibes of just the essentially the space race or at least some kind of space in the last 50 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we go into verse two, but it's all right. Um, going back to being okay with the situation. And I think this is kind of a, a, a vision that Jim and Tom have within their songs is kind of understanding that, okay, things don't always go my way. Let's just uh, dust ourselves off and be okay with this. I'm going to accept this, uh, this finality here. Uh, and then uh, it goes on to say, it's televised in forest green. Now, I think this specifically, going back to the whole Yuri Allen thing, I think this has to do with the color of the set when it's off. Not necessarily when the set's on, but when you, you ever get that, when you look at a, an old CRT monitor. Sure, yeah, okay. Or it's kind of like a green. And I'm not saying, I mean, it, it would display in black and white or maybe even color, but I remember the one that we had, it was a Sylvania. And it sat in the living room, but if, you, if the light hit it just right, it almost looked like green or like a grayish black. So I'm thinking that's what they're talking about. It's televised in forest green. Um, and I did verify that um, Gagarin's arrival was televised. Um, once Gagarin was in the spacecraft, his picture appeared on television screens in the launch control room from an onboard camera. Okay, uh, It's been brought back by Retro Man. So maybe that could be his return to Earth. This Retro Man, yeah. Yuri, is the yeah. Retro Man, and he's returning to Earth. Uh, and then it goes into a nice musical break where it's just the 5-4-6-4 time. Yeah. They stick with that timing and come back into the bridge. Hold your thoughts in. So again, kind of that internal monologue there. Hold your thoughts in. Be patient. Dream bigger. Uh, it ain't over yet. You won't slide under me. I think there's still more time to succeed. Don't let yourself get taken advantage of. Um, our time will come. And, and if this is, in fact, about the space race, then we have that um, less than a month later with Alan actually going up. So maybe, you know, maybe there's some stuff that uh, Tom's parents had taped or his brothers had taped and he was watching old VHSs, uh, you know, kind of the actual space race or, or things that happened later in the 80s because they're writing this song in the, in the early to mid 90s anyway, right? Yeah. Um, then the chorus again, the prize, I knew you would come through. I thought I could be right number one, but it's all right. And I think that's the thing is at the end of this, it's acceptance being, you know, taking the higher road and not necessarily uh, just looking at this. I mean, it's, it's an achievement for somebody to go into space. And I think that this other person, the narrator here is just kind of giving, taking a step back and clapping their hands, um, you know, in, in kind of a, let's let's give this person their time in the spotlight. But our time will come eventually. So now I mean, my my outlook, very specific there. <laughs> <laughs> I I followed it a hundred percent. The only thing the only okay. things I thought were Retro Man seems so interesting, yet setting the time and place 
retro man does make sense. I thought it was rich old men being held back by rich old men. Now, that was before I looked at all the lyric sites that say retro man, but they were... That's just not an, a common turn of phrase. And these lyrics aren't written out anywhere that who came up with like for sure this is retro man and not rich old man. Um, right. Or rich old men. So I'm very interested in how I that... tried to hear rich old men. Oh, OK. And you just don't hear it. I tried to hear it and I couldn't I couldn't hear it as clearly. And maybe it's because I was so focused on um on the vision that I had in my head with this being about the space race. Sure. Okay. I did wonder the forest green it's televised in forest green. That does ground the forest green grounds it on earth, whether or not that is the TV being off. I like that. But I also wondered, Uh I was like, Oh shit, is this song about twin peaks? Um, Uh uh, because, uh, the black lodge is in the forest but that didn't have it. a lot of people, uh, especially after the return of Twin Peaks, uh, think that it's David Lynch's commentary on television and television culture itself. Um, and so uh, I was just like, it's televised in Forest Green. Is this about Twin Peaks somehow? And I'm not seeing it. Um, <laughs> and then on Genius, the last line is, but it's a lie which I thought was rad, but I, I do not hear him saying it's a lie. And you said it's all right. So, which I agree is probably the last line of the song. Right. Um, but it would be really cool if it were, but it's a lie because right. that would finish the thought. I thought I could be right, number one, but it's a lie. Like, that's a really cool line, but I just don't think that's what he's singing. <laughs> right. Okay. Now, um, you know, you mentioned the... The, the TV again. I have to ask this question because there was only one other person. Uh, her name was Christina that talked that mentioned this to me. And I, we were working at Applebee's at the time when she mentioned this. I would in the early 90s. And I'm sure this is way more common just because this isn't something you come out and say, hey, I can hear this. When you would walk by people's houses, could you hear that high pitched CRT yep. squeal when yep. they were watching TV? Isn't that crazy to think? I could tell like that person has their TV on. Or you'd be walking down the hall toward a classroom and you'd be like, oh, fuck yeah, the TV's on. Like before you even saw the rolling. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? Someone actually captured this a year ago, Soup Ladle um, on Reddit. I didn't actually think you could capture this. Now, some people might not be able to hear this just because I guess as you grow older, you're supposed to – Lose those frequencies. Lose those frequencies, right? So what you're hearing is the flyback, apparently. But this is what it sounds like. The music in the background is actually, uh, it's from, I think it's Super Mario 64. But I turned it up a little bit in the second half of that. So if you can hear it, um, you know, I'll I'll clean it up. I'm either losing it over... Skype. Oh, I'm sure you're losing it. Over I don't board. have yeah. the frequent. I don't. I don't uh, capture the frequencies anymore. Right. <laughs> That'd be interesting. So that'll be a yeah. little test. So okay, here we'll do it live. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Let me. Um. Let me blow your mind now, David. I was. I was waiting for this. I was trying Please, not to yeah. rush through the lyrics. I still feel like this song is about space, and ultimately, it's about um, the space race. But this is what I came across. It was sort of buried. So this is from an article um, written in 2016 by Doug Millard, um, and it's titled Iridium, Story of a Communications Solution No One Listened To. 
with the subtitle, A Spacefaring Real-Life Thriller Shows That the Global Communication Isn't the Gold Mine It Seems and the Best Technology Doesn't Always Succeed. I'm going to read um, an excerpt from this article that covers essentially the story in the past as well as uh, John Bloom's book that he wrote in, boy, I think it was right right around the same time. So I think this is probably like some kind of press release. Mm -hmm. So this is how it goes. In 1945, Arthur C. Clarke wrote an article that foresaw the advent of communication satellites. He described three extraterrestrial relays, crewed space stations, uh, positioned at equal distances from each other over the equator at an altitude of 36,000 kilometers. They would orbit in sync with Earth's rotation, and their signals would reach almost everyone on the planet. So I imagine it's probably like that three-dimensional, like a triangle, um, where they can each communicate with each other and relay, right? Yeah. So 50 years later, by satellite link from the University of Colombo in Sri Lanka, Clark opened a small celebratory exhibition at London's Science Museum. His prediction had come true, although the spacecraft were a lot smaller than he anticipated, thanks to miniaturization and the lack of crews. There was one snag, though. Signals from geostationary satellites are too weak to reach high latitudes effectively. This problem is what Iridium Satellite Service, Mm. conceived in the early 1990s, was supposed to tackle. By launching scores of extra satellites into lower orbits, the Iridium network would achieve truly global coverage. Anyone with an Iridium phone would be within sight of a satellite, and those satellites would communicate with each other, enabling everyone on Earth to talk to everyone else. Calculations showed that 77 satellites would be needed, hence the name Iridium after the metal with the atomic number 77. It turned out (laughs) that just 66 were required, but a dysprosium, dysprosium element number 66 didn't seem right. These satellites were launched a matter of months in uh, over the course of 1995 um, to 98. They were developing these. And U.S. Vice President Al Gore made the first Iridium phone call. And I will tell you this. So the whole story behind this is that it was a failed experiment that the company that bought it was Motorola. And Whoa. Can, you, can you guess where Motorola is centered? <laughs> uh, is it Phoenix? It is Phoenix, man. So I think what happened, I am not kidding. So all of this, so I imagine either Tom or Jim was like watching a news show, like the news or looking at a paper and they saw maybe a title. I tried to find one that had a title like 77 satellites, but that's exactly what it is. So yeah, in the early nineties, Motorola bought it out and ended up, um, reinvigorating it, uh, bringing their money into it. And then that's when they released him in 98. And then Al Gore, vice president, uh, made the first Iridium phone call. So pretty cool, huh? That is amazing. Wow. That is so cool. Um, I am now looking up to see if this, the Phoenix new times ever had an article around the mid nineties about the Iridium low earth orbit satellite system. I'm not seeing anything. (laughs) Well, here, let me wow, play this. That's... So you talked about walking down the hallway, and you, and you could tell that the TV was on in the in the yeah. classroom. But check check this out. This was from a – there is a, a webpage, iridiummuseum.com, where you can look at – it's basically – it's like a it's, – it's a library of just videos and information about this whole story. And, uh, yeah, so it, let me play this clip. It's seven and a half minutes, but I'm just going to play the first minute here. But this will take yep. you back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Video today, kids. 
Now it's got the title screens. The Vision Realized. The vision of Iridium has progressed from an idea to a firm technical reality. Project funding has led to explosive design and manufacturing activity across the entire program. Today, it employs over 4,000 people around the world. And with all major subcontracts now awarded, the number of engineers dedicated to the system soon will reach 6,500. Critical high-level technical design reviews have been conducted on the many satellite subsystems. Thousands of design and manufacturing tasks are underway at companies worldwide to ensure a fully operational wireless communication system in 1998. Wow. Can you just picture having in front of you this, the sheet that your teacher gave you? It's just a photocopy, but it's got like the little blanks you got to fill in like, oh, 6,600 employees were employed there. Just to keep you interested for that yeah. hour that you're going to be watching this. <laughs> that this was rad. Film on. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know why it was so buried. Um, I came across the actual, th- that press release, the Iridium story, which put me down the other rabbit hole of finding the IridiumMuseum.com and all this. But it all seems to point back to their original um, plan of having 77 satellites that would be orbiting the planet and essentially create this network that was kind of like a predecessor to i mean this i imagine that the military it's like had satellite something. phones exactly exactly yeah. so there we have it so i, I don't know necessarily if the song relates to it i know that's where the song title there's comes from too, i still feel like yeah, it has exactly. to do with space there, yeah there's too many um this there's there's too many charlie day memes to go uh, in here. <laughs> <know>. right <laughs> yeah wow that was great um, yeah. The uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention about the song musically is the bridge has uh, accordion in it. So uh, oh, yeah, every time right. we think we want it to be Tom so bad, there's no way it's not Zach. He has not answered me on Twitter, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to go ahead and say that Zach is playing the accordion on the bridge in this song. <laughs> I will agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> So now, um, now there is a uh, there is an, a definite answer to all these questions. Emo theory, don't know. Um, yeah, <laughs> all these people that kind of gave up didn't look. But yeah, um, I'm glad that, you mentioned the accordion. It's a it's such a it's it's a nice little addition in there. It's a nice yeah, little uh, chef's kiss. Yeah, I concur. Um, wow, that was great. Um, yeah. Man. So uh, let's see. I did want to talk about the uh, singles album has the most information really from the band about this song in particular. And most of this we've already mentioned, but I'll, I'll go over a little bit of it here. Um, This is from our liner notes um, uh, that we scanned in and are serving up at jimmyepod.com slash discography. Um, And so anybody can see, we're trying to put like a comprehensive liner notes thing together. So, uh, Opener and 77 Satellites, recorded and mixed by Mark Trombino at Big Fish, an industry for outer space 001, recording Opener and Satellites was the first time we got to work with Mark Trombino. It was also one of the few experiences we had working in a big studio recording to two-inch tape. We were looking for someone to engineer our first record with Capitol, and this gave us the opportunity to feel things out. We used to play new songs live before they were finished. Usually, a couple shows would go by before a song ended up having vocals. An instrumental version of Opener usually started our set for the last tour with our first bass player, Mitch Porter. We 
released the record ourselves and only pressed 1,000 copies. The 7-inch version of Opener also appears on the Emo Diamonds Chapter 1, A Million Miles Away, released by Deep Elm Records. 77 Satellites was also released as a bonus track on the vinyl format of our 1996 Capitol album, Static Prevails. So that is what is written about 77 Satellites in the liner notes for uh, the singles album, Hmm. Uh, which I love going back to whenever I can. Um, I also have, uh, there was an alternate version of the opener seven inch. Uh, there was the one that we had seen. Um, I'm assuming we talked about this version. It's like a picture of a very Ziggy Stardust looking dude. Um, he has like stars, uh, drawn around his eyes. Um, and, uh, and then like he's standing next to a mirror where you can see his uh, profile um, inside the record is it kind of it's like two dudes standing by a restroom. Uh, one of one of the guys ah. kind of looks like Tom, but like he kind of has a goatee. So I doubt it's Tom. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the you see that it says Jimmy Eat World and a really, really teeny tiny photo of maybe what might be a drum set or something. And then on the inside was a handwritten. Uh, it looks like maybe Jim's handwriting. Uh, it says opener 77 satellites, Rick, Tom, Jim, Zach, a little heart recorded by Mark Trombino at Big Fish in Encinitas, California. Thank you, Tony and Conrad in industry for outer space. P.O. Box 30864 Mesa, Arizona 85275. Um, and uh, each vinyl of this seven inch comes with a different handmade sleeve all on white vinyl. So those wow. sleeves were handmade. Wow. And then some <laughs> copies come with handwritten, handwritten photocopied insert. Um, and uh, I did look on their old webarchive.org uh, site to see if there was anything interesting about the opener seven inch or anything. And there, there weren't, there weren't any good blurbs or anything. Um, and then it was included. So it was included as a seven inch bonus. Uh, like we discussed on the, in the same room episode, uh, with the original static prevails, but the subsequent re-releases starting in 2014 include it as part of the two disc vinyl set if that makes sense. So it's still two discs, but it, it is a, it's a complete second disc as far as I can tell. Um, uh, so, yeah, I'm looking at that photo, the insert it. So it does look like Tom. I think it's Tom's older brother. Um, I think that's Jim. Ah, it's that's a Linton. Jim. It's oh, a Linton. Yeah. Clever. Yeah. Clever. Jim himself, the Jim that the eats gym. the world. wow well that's cool um and then uh lastly i have from wikipedia that i found uh when jimmy eat world was searching for an engineer to record static prevails they came across former drive like jehu member mark trombino the band recorded two songs with him opener and 77 satellites both of which were released through record label and industry for outer space on seven inch vinyl uh so those are all the track notes i have what do you have track note wise? So I have a couple. Other I came across the, a couple the of Iridium <laughs> system, which was I know, so right? tight. Yeah. Um, right now, I came across a couple of articles that were one was from Phoenix New Times and the other one was from AZ Central. 
This one sounds kind of like what you had said. So stop me if this is the same thing that you had read uh, first. But this was from the Phoenix New Times, um, October 26th of 2000. Uh, Brad Joel Kelly, Brendan Joel Kelly uh, in, in here says, uh, the singles record, though not as consistent as the band's two capital long players, Static Prevails and Clarity, provides a context for the development of Jew's evolving songcraft. It opens with two power chord driven numbers, Opener and 77 Satellites, both sung by guitarist Tom Linton. These days, Linton has relinquished his share of the vocal duties to fellow guitarist and Go Big Casino mastermind Jim Atkins. While both songs hold their own in the Jew repertoire, uh, the move to a single vocalist is perhaps one of the band's brightest decisions. Linton's gravelly tone and Atkins' impassioned high pitch always seemed strange bedfellows. I don't know about that. No. I do I do agree with the gravelly tone. It's definitely different. But, you know, listening to those songs, again, I always go back to Action Needs an Audience of just how yeah. impressed I am with, with how good that song sounded. And then I'm glad that Tom picked it back up and said, let's finish this one up. So that, and then there was another article from AZ Central where it's, they had interviewed, um, the title is I Cried Like a Baby, Phoenix Music Scene People Pick Their Favorite Jimmy Eat World Songs. And so I came across Jason P. Woodbury on 77 Satellites. Uh, Jason P. Woodbury is a local musician and former music editor for the Phoenix New Times, uh, who is now a contributing editor at Aquarium Drunkard and part of the marketing team at Zia Records. He chose 77 Satellites, an early single that turned up as a bonus track on the reissue of their second album, 1996, Static Prevails. Though 77 Satellites doesn't veer too far from the angular emo that defined Jimmy World's earlier work, he says. One of the reasons I love it so much is that it makes clear both the band's um, penchant. Uh, is it penchant or penchant? We talked about yes. this. I think it's penchant. Okay. Yeah. The band's uh, penchant for experimentation. Check out that pump organ driven bridge and Tom Linton and Jim Adkins attraction to hook. So maybe it's a pump organ. I I did wonder if maybe it was uh, like a melodica or yeah, yeah. something like that. It does sound a but, little different, uh, but it could totally pass for either accordion or a, a pump organ driven bridge or, or, or yeah. Um, Though I loved it when the band embraced full-on pop with clarity and Bleed American, the blend of rawness and growing sophistication here captivates me. The dual vocal element hits me like a bolt of lightning, reminding me of countless nights trying to capture that kind of kinetic energy with my own friends in various going-nowhere Arizona bands. What do the lyrics about far-fetched fun, prizes, and lies mean? Who knows? Everything you need to know is right there in the sound of Tom and Jim's voices, ragged and pushing, driving toward something big. I don't know. I can't tell. Where is Jim's voice in this song? Um, is it when he's singing like the prize? I think it's the harmonies like in the, um, uh, to be held back by retro man. It has this long held out vowels. Yeah. Um, where you can hear a harmony in there. Okay. And it's just because Tom's in the foreground that it's harder for me to, I almost, it sounded to me like there was, uh, Tom's harmony in the back, but Tom doesn't get up that high anyway. So I should have just known. I thought it was like splitting. Yeah, They'll take you know, the passing it, passing the torch. Unless back and forth. Jim is singing the chorus because he goes, the prize. You want to listen? I think I got that but up. That could be. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like Tom. Yeah. Here's your part. So the harmonies right here. Yep. In forest green. It's been a 
Yeah, you can hear Jim back there. Back, yeah. Okay. I wasn't hearing it before, but now I can definitely hear Jim back there. Yeah. So and now you gotta time my harmonies in with the song. <laughs> yes. So well said, Jason P. Woodbury on 77 satellites. That's what I got as far as uh, articles with this track in it. Those are tight. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. Uh I have some community. Um Adam Heap, uh, as he is wont to do, put together a numbers song set list. So he put a bunch of songs uh all in a list. And he says, can you spot the theme? Uh, and I feel like we recently discussed this for some song. I'm trying to see which one we would have done it for. I guess one, two, three, four. Because um, he's saying one, two, three, four, five, 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 episode four, 17, one mil, 12, 23, 95, 10, step one, reason 346, 77 satellites, digits, and 23. Can you spot the theme? <laughs> uh, he says, so, uh, yeah. Uh, um that is Adam Thomas Heap uh, doing his uh, <laughs> doing his numbered set list. Then Frank D um, had put together the uh, best Jimmy Eat World songs with numbers in the title in this particular order. 23, 10, 12, 23, 95, 17, episode four, 77 satellites, 555 reason, 346, 1234. It's got 555 way down on that list. <laughs> Um, I mean, they're all great songs, so that's the hard part, but, um, uh, but yeah, uh, so I love when people play with numbers there. Um, Ben foot had made a comment on somebody, somebody had done the, had posted the, anyone can play guitar podcast that Jim had been on. And, uh, <laughs> I guess it was episode 77 of that, of that podcast. So Ben foot comments episode 77 satellites. <laughs> he um, knew. And uh, he had listed that as being on uh, Benfoot did a separate post where he had put all of his favorite Tom songs on an album together. Um, and he included a bunch of songs, none of which are 77 satellites. But he says, I also really like Chachi and 77 satellites, but those can be bonus tracks, says Benfoot. Um, Jenna King, that is her favorite. She lists that as her favorite track as among her favorite tracks off static prevails. So some people count this as being on static prevails because it was, it's essentially like if you listen to this to static prevails on, uh, Apple music and probably Spotify 77 satellites shows up in the track list of the, the, the uh, deluxe edition. Uh Um, uh, so Jenna King has that there. Uh, A couple people have done the emoji game. Like, uh, Name a, a Jimmy Eat World song using emojis only. And in both posts, somebody just commented <laughs> Seven, with 77, 77 satellite emojis. <laughs> oh, man. Um, it placed 14th in Walking on a Wire's Static Prevails Survivor and was out in round three, which is, I think, essentially 14th place. Yeah, right. In Pebble Swift's Survivor. Um, and then uh, Mr. Colty 5 had posted a review, uh, which I thought was really interesting. It was really long and well thought out, but I wanted to read just the 77 Satellites uh, blurb, which was um, 77 Satellites, the bonus track, is a Tom-led song, which is somewhat catchy, but really isn't too special. It fits the album well as a bonus track, though. Um, I really like this song, so... Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Do you have any other community stuff before um, I tell you where this lands in Jake T. <laughs> Um, I have a this this little section here. This little segment is going to be for Eric because he loves uh, when I when I uh, mention the usernames here. But this is a post from five months ago. One of my fav- faves from Static from Fat Daddy five forty three, um, and it's actually a picture of Caveman. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I, I think you, our pod Caveman account, lawyer? Caveman. Our pod accounts the, the most upvoted comment there. Um, but user Goobage down at the bottom with one point says, in all caps, yes, and 77 satellites. <laughs> so user Goobage has uh, good things to say to Fat Daddy 543 And I also wanted to say, so he took a, <laughs> he took a screenshot of his Spotify and it says, heyday earbud 02. Um, I got these, these knockoff earbuds that... <laughs> They they're titled Bates B A E T S. Oh my god, yes. Bates! <laughs> That's amazing. And so when it when it when it when I clip it in, it says Bates. In my oh my god. Um, yeah, they are my my knockoffs. Uh, my knockoff Beats, and they're like my backup pair. But I just always think it's funny seeing you just kind of look into someone's life for a moment. You know, kind of creeping around looking at the. The contents like I want to see I want to see more from the screenshot than just uh, what they've clipped out of um, Spotify here. So anyway, thanks for that fat daddy 543. Um, I have the (laughs) worst, worst three, three song stretch from just a month ago uh, from Nez 477 and worst three song stretch worst. And then Sozin in this comment uh, commentary below says, uh, how does how do they have this? Cut action needs an audience invented. Easily my least favorite stretch of songs in their catalog. Uh, and then they put in Robot Factory, Anderson Mesa, and 77 Satellites. This one pains me because I absolutely love Anderson Mesa, but is it is sandwiched between two turds. That's not very nice. Oh, oh my gosh. I know, right? I don't I guess it's just Tom saying I he I he I he I he I he I he I that people don't like. Yeah. Otherwise, the song is like, I guess it fits like within those like early. I love every track on the singles album. And this is the second song. So it's right. like, you know what I mean? Like, it's great. Yeah. The way that they labeled this, they have two uh, quoted blocks of three. So I think they're just saying that the second one, Robot Factory, Anderson Mason, 77 Satellites is the one that uh, the least favorite. So anyway, there you have it from Sozin. Yeah. And uh, lastly, uh, Static Prevails Best Album. And is this Adam Thomas Heap? <laughs> no, no, no. This was actually uh, Noah five two one two five two. Again, you know, where do people get these numbers from? The only songs on it that I don't absolutely love are Caveman Rockstar and Seventy Seven Satellites, and I still like those very much. And then uh, the comment after that is Doctor Duct Tape Hands. Lucky for you, Seventy Seven Satellites is not a proper album track. It's a B side tacked onto the end. Same with what I would say to you now. So that's what I have. Kind of mixed emotions uh, regarding this song, especially after I, I had it on heavy repeat. And it's just one of those oh, where yeah. I could just go again, do it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a good repeat track. Like, Oh, yeah. And it, it almost times out perfectly uh, in terms of the gap after the last hit to the to the snares, the snare counting in. Maybe again, that's what it is. Almost it feels like loop. it just yeah. goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It goes. That's what the people say. <laughs> Oh man! Um, so there it is. So, That's what I got for a community. So for um, Jake T. O'Donnell's top 100 songs, 
I will say he numbered this the same <laughs> as the year it came out. Um, now that's hard so, to say because it came out a couple times, but right. So, because I want to say ninety six, is that incorrect? It's ninety five. Ninety five. Oh, man, ninety five. Because the opener seven inch came out in ninety five. Got to update. I, I was one off, man. Ninety five. All right. Well, I mean, I, it's it's pretty low on the list, but I'm glad it's there. That's okay. Let's what does he see have to say? What what he has to say. This is one of the band's first polished products. It's really incredible the velocity at which they went from being so raw on their first record to being a band that genuinely sounded like they belonged on Capitol Records. This then may be a good opportunity to give a brief history lesson on these guys. The band got together in Mesa in 93 with Jim, Tom, Zach, along with bassist Mitch Porter. Porter left the band sometimes after they recorded their first self-titled record and Tom's childhood friend Rick joined thereafter. The lineup hasn't changed since then. As Jim tells it, the guys tried to get their name out there as promoters and after booking Christy Front Drive to play a Phoenix gig, they recorded a 7-inch with them that was discovered by A&R Guy from Capitol. So while the guys were still teenagers, they had a record deal with a major label. Anyway, 77 Satellites rocks and has an accordion on it, which shows the band was willing to try weird stuff early on. So a big blurb about nothing really about the song. (laughs) But he does think it's an accordion. So, okay, there you go. Um, Yeah. Uh, Do you have any covers? I do. I have one guitar cover. Yes. Right. Yeah. And this is from NW, which was recent, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, he posted to the uh, subreddit, I believe. And uh, and yeah, this just barely posted February 19th, 2021. So let's take a listen yeah. to NW. So good. I love that second guitar. It's so Duh. nice to be able to hear that clean tone. And actually, he's got great playing. Uh, his skills at playing this is uh, is excellent, too. There's not a lot of... I mean, I couldn't really capture or catch anything totally. that was off. And uh, guess who's in the uh, comment section over here? Uh, Future's Past? Uh, no, Danger Gavin. Oh. Thank you for... I needed this. Thank you so much. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Danger Gavin learning to play guitar along uh, uses these uh, videos to help him figure out these songs. And yeah, I don't know that I could figure that out by oh, ear. Yeah. It's so complicated. That's another that's, thing. I would play the too twinkly. I would play the guitar <laughs> chord four chords, and that's it. And then you yeah, see yeah. this this kid is sitting there. Uh, He's playing the second guitar oh, part. Yeah, totally. Fucking great. Um, <laughs> uh, and lastly, did you come up with a rave DJ? I did, and I had to put the two All together. Right. 
Anyway, I had to put the two together that I had mentioned. Okay, both. so what did you put together? Let's take a listen. So, oh, oh my gosh, yeah. you put Rush together. So mine's called oh, 77 how did it come out? Ladder. Uh, eh, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did, did I put any notes? I didn't even put any notes. So here, here it is. This is 77 Ladder. Oh, wait. Actually, I was just playing Rush there. I'm sorry. Wait, no, that's not true. <laughs> it's not, but it, I could be any Rush album. I don't want to sure. dog on Rush. <laughs> but I did. Okay. Um, okay, so I just sent you one, and I went based off of uh, what Toombat told me it would uh, go well with. But, yes, after the one-minute mark, it just does not work with that weird time signature. Okay. Um, but it, it does come in. I, I said it came in just like I wanted it to. So let's take a listen to what it, what, what was it called? The, the Mixed, mixed satellite. satellite. This is with Jack's Mannequin. It's when I spend the most time Oh yeah. It does get a so yeah, the beginning works pretty fun, but it did. falls apart right, right here. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> no no big winner in this one. Justin, what are your final thoughts on the song 77 Satellites by Jimmy Eat World? I need to give more of their earlier tracks uh, time, time to marinate, because 77 Satellites is, it, it's a hard rocking track. Again, it's got all the elements that I want in there. And like you said, man, it just gets that perfect loop. Maybe that's why I just kept, kept it going. It goes, baby. It goes. <laughs> All right. What about you? Uh, it's great. It's one of my favorite Tom songs. Um, and it's funny just thinking back to when I was 16 and I had this and uh, not knowing that that wasn't Jim singing uh, was yeah. just uh, kind of a cool uh, little thing. Uh, and here I am now knowing that it's a Tom song and uh, thoroughly enjoying it. Um, and hopefully soon we'll know if that's Zach playing the the hand organ or the accordion or, or what it is. And, um, and, uh, yeah, you nailed the research. So it's really fun thinking of it now. I want to go to this Iridium museum now. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there it is. Um, uh, I guess, uh, uh, to uh, keep your loved ones protected from Iridium and COVID-19 and be excellent to each other and party on dudes. <laughs>